This is Aiden Bills, and this is the New Horizons Student Mentor Podcast. first mate comes to him and says, Captain, on the horizon, I see a ship. He says, okay, go get my red shirt. He goes and gets his red shirt. They battle. They win. Next day, first mate comes up to him and says, Captain, there are two ships on the horizon. And he says, go get my red shirt. You know what to do. He goes and he brings his red shirt. They battle. They win. And afterwards, he says, Captain, that, that's great, but like, tell me your wisdom. Tell me about the red shirt. He said, the reason why I wear a red shirt is that so if I am injured in battle and I bleed, they don't see the red. And so the people are inspired, they think I'm, you know, brave, and then they fight on. And first mate was like, that's awesome, our captain is so brave. So the next day, there are ten ships on the horizon. And the mate says, captain, there are ten ships on the horizon. Should I get your red shirt? He says, no. Go get my brown pants. <laughs> so we have a story today that is a it is a bit of a brown pants situation in the book of Esther. Now raise your hand if this describes you. Like if you're in a crisis situation, raise your hand if uh, you're the type of person that swings into action. All right. Raise your hand if you try to run away. Like you escape. All right, raise your hand if you pray. One person, awesome. Uh, one person, thanks, Josh. Raise your hand if in a crisis situation you uh, ask for your brown pants. Okay, a few more people. So this is going to be a crisis situation, and we're going to see how Mordecai responds. We're going to see how Esther responds, and we're going to see what God does in the middle of that. But one of the things I want us to know about tonight is that the need is urgent. The need is urgent. And what that means is we're going to see in this story how they had to act right then and there. Like this was an emergency. This was not a drill. Um, these were some brave people. And they acted, but what gave them part of what gave them confidence? It wasn't that they had just confidence in themselves, but they put a lot of their confidence in God. Uh, there are a couple of statements in the Book of Esther that are key. Uh, one is Mordecai when he says, "You know, if you don't do this, he says deliverance is going to come from somewhere else." That's coming out of chapter four. We'll get there in a second. But he says, "If you don't do this, deliverance is going to come from somewhere else." I'd rather it be you, Esther. I'd rather you be a part of this, but I have faith in God that he's going to give deliverance. And then the second key phrase is, for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Like, this is now. Um, and he's going to say, uh, it's a statement of purpose that said, all of this has brought, you know, everything that God has done in your life has brought you to this moment. Maybe it's for this time, for such a time as this. Maybe this is why you're here for this very reason. And so the other uh, thing that's really cool in here is later Esther's going to say, you know, if I die, I die, but I'm going to do the right thing. So there was real danger. 
Um, but she made a decision that put her at risk for the benefit of others. So let's review our main points or our key ideas for the book of Esther. This is just over the whole book. It says God is working even when he is behind the scenes. I mentioned last week uh, God's name is not mentioned. And so he's not as much like in the front, but he's making everything happen behind the scenes. It's almost like he's playing chess. But because he's sovereign, because he's in control, he's making stuff happen. Uh, number two, the schemes of the wicked are doomed. The schemes of the wicked are doomed. We're going to read some about that tonight. And then lastly, God's plans can't be stopped. And we're going to read about some of that tonight. Uh, I'm going to read a lot of these verses. I'm going to paraphrase maybe some of these verses. Um, I'm going to start in verse 1. Uh, tonight we're going to read about a guy named Haman, by the way. Uh, and so I mentioned last week that uh, when, um, in the Feast of Purim, we would read this book together. And so what would happen is during the part where you said the name Haman, everybody would uh, hiss like a snake. So if you don't think that we're going to do that here, then like you don't know me very well. So we're definitely taking advantage of that. So when I get to the word Haman, y'all just got to be like, Okay, there we go, because this is a bad dude. This is a bad dude. All right, let's start with verse 1 in chapter 3. <clears throat> it says, After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. And all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. All right, real quick. So there's a little bit of a beef between Mordecai and this other dude. And it says that he's an Agagite. Just a little bit of history there. Uh, this dude, his like great, I don't know how many grandfather, his, uh, when King Saul and Samuel uh, took the land, they actually killed the king of the Agagites. And Mordecai is from the same tribe as King Saul. And so there's almost this whole idea of generations later, and even in a different part of the world, there's already this animosity between Mordecai and Haman. All right, I'm in verse 5. It says, When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, uh, the month of Nisan, uh, a lot was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month, and the lot fell, fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. So what he's going to tell him is, okay, there's, he's got a plan. He says, there's these people, um, you know, they don't, they're not like us. Their customs are different. They're following a different religion. And so we need to do something about these people. He says, if it pleases the king, I'm in verse 9, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I'll give them 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So now the Jews are in danger of basically something like a genocide in their country. Um, the king has signed off on it. Not really, I don't know if he just didn't think about it or what, but it sounded good to him. 
I'm in verse 13. It says, Dispatches were sent out by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. All right, I'm in. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to uh, chapter 4, verse 13. And so now Mordecai has heard about this. Mordecai has torn his clothes. He's mourning. He's upset. And he's like, well, my cousin is the queen. It says in verse 13, he sent back this answer. He said, he, this is the message he sent to her. He said, don't think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. And this is a key verse right here, verse 14. It says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But your father's family will perish. And who knows? But you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He says, I, you, you are put in this position to do something about it. The need is urgent. And who knows? Maybe this is why you are the queen. Like, Esther, it's not a coincidence. How many people are there in Persia? And so, uh, verse 15, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She said, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, uh, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Um, she says, fast. Now, like fasting is synonymous with prayer. So like, she's saying, everybody pray for me. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to fast uh, for the next several days. And then I'm going to go to the king. And she says, even though it's against the law, if I perish, I perish. So the way this worked was, if you weren't summoned by the king, you weren't supposed to go. And so if you just, like, showed up in the king's court one day without being summoned, he could be, like, thumbs down, and you could go to jail, you could be killed, or anything like that. And so she said, I hadn't even seen him in, like, a month. So... Definitely kind of a scary moment for her. So uh, chapter 5, verse 1, says, On the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So that's like a thumbs up from the, from the king. She said, I'm in verse 4. She said, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king gather together with Haman. Come today to a banquet I have prepared for them. Y'all are paying attention. All right. So she invites them to a banquet. Um, and he says, okay, we'll do it. Uh, verse 7, Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I'll prepare for them then I'll answer the king's question I'm in verse 12 and that's not all oh never mind I meant to tell you this okay so Haman's feeling pretty good about himself there you go Haman's feeling pretty good about himself and he tells his wife like I got invited to a special banquet with the king and with Queen Esther. And so he's feeling pretty good. He's, he's moving up in the world. And this is, what he, uh, this is what he tells his wife. He said, and that's not all. 
I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she's invited me along with the king uh, tomorrow. But this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. So he's still mad about Mordecai. And then this is what his wife tells him. It says, Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching to the height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. Okay, sounds good. So he has a gallows, like he's going to have it set up, uh, and he's going to kill Mordecai. So he's going to tell the king that the next day. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. It said, That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. So like, he couldn't sleep, so he wanted something really boring so that he could go to sleep. He's like, bring me the, the Chronicles. And so we talk about coincidences. This is not a coincidence that they flip to whatever page this is on. Um, I'm in verse 2. It said, It was found uh, recorded there that Mordecai had exposed uh, Bigtha and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So he remembers, it's been five years, he remembers, oh yeah, Mordecai, that dude saved my life. And he asked, he said, in verse 3, he said, what honor and recognition has given excuse me, has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. He's like, so what do we do for this guy that saved my life? Uh, nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. So he decides, all right, first thing in the morning, uh, when my guy when my guy Haman gets in, I'm going to tell him, uh, I've got a plan. We're going to do something for Mordecai. All right, look at uh, verse 8. No, excuse me, verse 6. says, when Haman entered, the king asked him, what shall be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now, he thinks it's him. So he's like, okay. Let me, let me think of something really good. Yeah, like I got a great idea. He said, okay. Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So I'm in verse 7. So he answered the king, for the man that the king delights to honor, have him bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one of the royal crest placed upon its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor, and lead him on a horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And the king said, That sounds like a great idea. Do that for Mordecai. Like, you could just imagine, like, imagine you, what, I don't know, you're just like, you're like, uh, but I don't like that guy. But then you can't say anything. It was your plan. And so he's, he's not happy about this. So they end up having a parade for Mordecai. And that's not the end of the story because I want to finish it next week. If you were going to ask me one word uh, to describe the book of Esther, I would say sovereignty. Does anybody want to take a stab at sovereignty? We talked about it last week. Matthew? Yeah, power. So, like, God is in control of all the things. That's, like, the main word for the book of Esther is sovereignty, the fact that God is in control. 
if you asked me to come up with a second word, I would say purpose. It's very clear uh, here, um, you know, his purpose flows out of his sovereignty. Because he's in control of all things, he directs people, and we all have a purpose. Like, we, we are a people of purpose. Each of us in here has a purpose. Because he is in control, and because he has a plan, you have a purpose. Um, I'm going to show a video uh, here in just a sec. I'm just going to show part of it. Uh, Isaac has been like hounding me about, he sent me a video, and he's like, did you watch it? And I was like, no. But I eventually did watch it. But he talks about purpose in this, and the purpose that God is preparing us for. Uh, he's actually talking in the video, he's talking a little bit about relationships. So that's not really for us right now. Um, but just listen to this uh, as we talk about and think about purpose tonight. Grab one of them and just catch it and be like, my relationships will never be the same. What's the first thing that God desires to give you before he gives you a person? He desires to give you a place. <laughs> not just your 400 square apartment. That's not exactly what I was talking about, okay? Uh, but, but, but what I am saying is God desires to place you in a place where he knows purpose can happen in your life. Okay, now let me help you. Many of us desire to place ourselves. Especially in my generation. I have so many people that come up to me and say, I'm about to move to here. I'm about to move to LA. I'm about to move to New York. I'm about to move to Dallas. I'm about to move to Oklahoma City. I'm about to move. I'm about to move. I'm about to move. They're searching for a place. And they're searching for people to validate the place that they're in. But what, what God gave Adam was a place that he didn't have anything to do with. He said God created Eden and he placed him. See, what you think is a coincidence is God's placement for you. He placed you in that family. They're crazy, but there's some things that God had to teach you. There's some things that he had to develop on the inside of you. There's some things you had to build up a tolerance against for the purpose that he has called you to. And we fight the place so hard. Oh, come on, y'all. We fight the job that God placed us in. Oh, I'm coming into your house. We fight the people God placed us around. We fight the church he planted us in. Well, they don't do it like that. They don't play my songs. They don't do what I know. I like them more like, woo, woo, woo. And they want to woo, woo, woo. And I just, I don't know. And God said, maybe you're an answer for something that's supposed to happen that I see up ahead, but you're fighting the place that I put you in. Can I talk to my college students for a second? He placed you at the school you're at. Yeah, I know all your other friends went there, and I know all your other people went there, but God, he's the one over promotion. He's the one over access granted or access denied, and he placed you. You may not see, Adam didn't see why he was in that place when he got there, but this is the most beautiful thing. The second thing that God reveals in a place is purpose. See, it said that he put him in Eden to tend 
and work the vegetation, the land. See, what people are missing is they're trying to get a person, they're ignoring the place, and so they don't understand their purpose. God's got you in that place on purpose. But if you're always denying the place, I hate this job. And God's saying, I'm trying to reveal purpose at that job. I, only, I know you only make $10 an hour, but I'm trying to reveal who I called you to be. There's something at this level you got to get. I know it doesn't keep working here, but you got to get it right here. Because if you would embrace the place God has placed you, you would start embracing the purpose while he put you there. And guess what? This is all before a person. So, so God takes Adam before Eve. He plants him and eat it. He, I, I want y'all to get the, the, the strength of the word I'm saying. He placed him. This was not an option. <laughs> There's some situation God puts you in that it seems like I'm just between a rock and a hard place. Why am I here? Has anybody been at that place? Like, why am I here? And the only thing that I, I, I can come to the conclusion of is that if I'm here and it's uncomfortable, it's for my growth. Because uncomfortability and growth are like oil and water. They don't go together. So when you're uncomfortable and you can't stand the place you are, God's trying to pull that purpose in And Adam started working in purpose before he ever got a person. So, so, so what I'm saying to you is that while you're looking for him or looking for her, God's trying to reveal to you why he has you her. Uh, uh, that's my Ebonics. Let me say it right. While, while, while God is, is, while you're trying to figure out what's going on with him or what's going on with her, God's trying to show you why he's placed you here. And until you stop fighting having people in the places that only God can feel, you'll always be disappointed with where God has you. Hey, why?